the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron and Ewan Levick. Welcome to the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Ewan Levick, the group editor for Australian Defence Magazine. Ewan, how are you doing? Good, Grant. Excellent. Well, this episode, our guest is Alan Clements, Managing Director of L3 Harris's Australian Operations. Alan recently joined L3 Harris after serving with the Royal Australian Air Force for 35 years, where he amassed over 4,000 hours flying a variety of aircraft, including the F-18. His career in the RAAF also included serving as the Defence Attaché to the United States and as Head of Australia Defence Staff in Washington, D.C., eventually retiring as an Air Vice Marshal. Alan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Grant. And Ewan, it's great to be here. Well, to kick things off, uh, let's get right stuck into the questions. And the first one is, how does L3 Harris view the future for satellite and tactical communications in Australia? Well, Grant, that may seem like a really simple question, but it's actually quite complex when you start to delve into it. And we certainly see them as a vital to the future of ADF operations. And from my experiences in the Air Force, we have some real important work to do to fully realise the potential of an integrated communications network. We have to think about networks and systems and systems of systems and less about just individual radios and a communication system. If we frame the discussion, for example, around something like an integrated air defence system or C-5012, the integrated underwater surveillance system, we'll only be successful to the extent that if we get these networks and integration part right. So I believe L3 Harris has a real important role and will continue to play that important role in enabling this for, for the Australian Defence Force. But I also think it's important when we talk about networks and integration that what we have in mind is about the seamless exchange of information in a multi-level security environment and the interchange of coalition and ADF assets in a battle space. And to achieve this for, for a modern warfare, uh, the coalition integration must be designed from the beginning we can't just bolt it on at the end. And we must get this right uh, for such programs as C-5012, uh, IAMD, and, and in the US context, something like JADC2. And to get all of that right, it's got to be able to operate at the speed of relevance for modern warfare. So again, I go back to that point I was talking at the beginning. It's got to be a network. It's got to be a system of systems as we look forward because the speed of relevance at the way that conflict is occurring at the moment, either in the grey zone or in actual conflict, is really important for us to be able to win in the battle space. So I believe uh, our ability to deliver software-defined radios and SAPCON capabilities will be central to this discussion as we go forward. And we must also focus on the continued development of capabilities in things like new waveforms, crypto, multi-level security, and these are absolutely necessary to be able to connect, connect the command, the control, and the communications which will be able to build the robust and resilient networks to enable the warfighters, whether they're tactical or strategic decision makers, we've got to be able to connect those right through. And certainly here in Australia, we've got our communications engineers in Brisbane uh, and other places of Australia as well that are working hard to make these networks work. So a long answer to what seems like a, a fairly simple question at the beginning, but uh, to me, it, it's absolutely critical that uh, we get this right from a network and system of systems perspective. Definitely a topical uh, subject as well in terms of getting it right, having it secure all uh, right across the, the network. Now, you mentioned Brisbane. And uh, is there a possibility for improved local support through expansion of your existing uh, facility in Brisbane that you use for repairing equipment and so on? 
Oh, absolutely. And, and we're already doing that at the moment. We're, we're seeing that our support team's done an outstanding work uh, in the in the pure communications piece in the tactical radios area in maintenance and, and in building those networks that need to have to get information around the, the land battle space, for example. But we're also doing a bunch of work there on electronic warfare as well uh, in our Brisbane area. And now starting to integrate, how do we get these communication systems linked with our night vision goggles, for example, and any other system that's, that's coming on board to, to make sure that the soldier, the sailor or, or the aviator actually has all of the information at their fingertips at all the levels that need to happen. And that's obviously something that we're trying to do. And hopefully, hopefully we can continue to grow that in Brisbane and other parts of Australia. That, that is our plan. And certainly from an L3 Harris perspective, the idea of building a one L3 Harris in Australia that we, we are looking at it as an Australian industry capability, sovereign capability, so that we can control the future and, and help help the ADF do its job in the future. Alan, this um, then you know the networked force that is talked about a lot, or the system of systems force. In your view, what are the top three challenges to achieving that force, or the top three risks? Well, I think it goes back to the multi-level security, the ability to be able to get the information to the right person at the right time is very challenging and being able to work through all of the data that you get, all of the information that you get to make sure they're getting the relevant data to the right right space. So that connectivity, the ability to do that on a multi-level place at the right crypto and build that in as a coalition. We can't be trying to do this just on our own. So I think there's some major challenges there to do that. And I go back to, I think, one of my first points about designing this in from the beginning, being able to work with the US and the latest announcement that we got with the partnership with Australia, US and the UK is going to be, I think, critical in one of the areas where we can look at how do we do this as a coalition going forward. Okay, so we've just looked at the network future and so on, and, and there's all sorts of new work being done in autonomy and connecting into networks and so on. So L3 Harris, uh, you've got the IVA autonomous underwater vehicle. Can you explain the capability and autonomous functionality of the IVA? Well, certainly it, it is a series of actual capabilities as well. I think we're up to either four now uh, around the world. And the development of those vehicles represent an enhanced and advanced family of small diameter systems that are designed primarily to perform a wide range of jobs, both in the commercial and in the defence sectors. I think uh, most of the people who work in the commercial space where customers are able to integrate their own payloads into the actual vehicle itself. And looking at synthetic aperture radars, for example, or sonar, but really any function that you're trying to look at either the seabed or the, or the water, that column of water and the characteristics of the column of water is something that these either series can do. And as you see, some of the programs we've got in the, the Australian Navy is looking at going forward, uh, the modularity, the flexibility and the reliability of such a system as either is going to be crucial to us understanding that at a distance from our home. Uh, we obviously can do it here and uh, they will be able to do it in and around our own waters, but the ability to do it at a, at a distance from our home in a safe way that we're not putting people at risk uh, and not being able to be detected while you're doing it is really important on these IVA series. And we're certainly looking forward to working with the Royal Australian Navy to figure out what they really need and how we can make that work for them. So when you say you're looking forward to working with the Navy, you're seeing opportunities for the IVA in Australia? Absolutely. And we're already here in, uh, in a commercial sense. And we certainly see some of the programs coming forward where IVA is one of those 
platforms that we can operate uh, and help the Navy operate into the areas that they need it to work. So, Alan, is there, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about potential opportunities and, and other functions of the IVA for here in Australia? Well, look, along with obviously the ability to develop and support the payloads that the Royal Australian Navy would be interested in, we're going to be working with other customers in Australia. There are a variety of uh, commercial customers, whether they be uh, universities or, or small to medium enterprises, where this type of capability is important for them for their research or for the development of their own products going forward. So, yeah, I believe here and globally, there is a huge market for this type of vessel. Are you currently working with Australian industry or academia on uh, IVA or on the, the role of autonomy more broadly? We are growing in that area. We're probably not where we would like to be right now in, in working with it. Um, overall, L3 Harris invests around 4% of its revenue in uh, research and development. Uh, we're not quite at that stage here in Australia, but we're very close uh, in that space in a lot of areas. Uh, so this is one of those, as it's opening up now, as uh, autonomous vehicles, whether they're airborne or underwater or land, we're seeing that open up in Australia and obviously the investment and our efforts with academia and other small to medium enterprises here in Australia is starting to grow. So whilst we're at the, we're at the beginning of that journey right now, so leaving autonomous vehicles and water and so on, uh, let's move on to something else. Now, this could be a very tricky discussion because it, this is cutting edge stuff and uh, lots of super secret squirrel, of course. So keeping it unclassed naturally uh, within and within the limits of an unclassified discussion, can you provide a high level overview of the role and capability of the MC-55A Peregrine electronic warfare aircraft that uh, the RAF are going to be bringing on board very soon? Uh, look, I'll do my best uh, to, to do the thing at a high level, uh, describe this capability at a high level and stay away from the, the classified area. It, it's certainly a unique ISR capability with some very specific and strategic electronic warfare capabilities. It's becoming a central component of providing strategic information to the force commanders to give them a better understanding of what's happening in the operation and where deployed forces are and where they can deploy forces and manoeuvre their forces in any sort of context. With the sensitive capabilities on board, it obviously means that we can work with some of our closest allies in, in virtually any environment that we need to go into. And this is important because, as I've mentioned before, we're always working with coalitions, the team that we need to have and the ability for us to plug our system in to a coalition effort and then pull it out and someone else's system going is really, really important. So that, that commonality and the ability to work with our closest allies is, is really important for them. And looking forward, though, uh, the development of that capability, not just from a, a pure platform, but the back end of it, where, where the heart of the, of the actual capability is, is something that is important to L3 Harris, that we work with the ADF. What is their requirements? What are the sovereign requirements that we need to have on there? And then work closely with them to develop not just a platform. With, you know, the, the hull of the aircraft is really just something to get the capability around. So it's about maintaining that in Australia, but the back end of that is important as well and how we work together with the Australian Defence Force to ensure that that meets the needs not only tomorrow as it gets introduced into service, but then as we look further down track, what are those evolving requirements in the strategic circumstances that we find ourselves? Can you give us an idea of what the sovereign requirements are and how they might impact local industry content in the Peregrine? Uh, I probably can't go into detail on what I think the sovereign requirements would be. I think we, we need to th 
certainly in terms of maintenance of the aircraft, engineering of the aeroplane are all sovereign type capabilities that we want to have in Australia. But when you start to get to the back end of that, the ability to reprogram, the ability to understand the electronic environment, what needs to change, how we may want to influence that environment, those types of capabilities are going to be very important. So the knowledge transfer and the tech transfer to Australia for us to build that capacity and capability in Australia is something that we need to look closely at and make sure that we can do that for Australia as we go forward. Obviously, there'll be things on that platform uh, that we may get some tech transfer on that are capabilities that the, that are very, very tightly controlled under ITAR and export controls. We may not be able to have that sort of maintained or, or, or modernised or developed here in Australia. But I think uh, it's important that as much of what we can do in that area that we do do. You mentioned ITAR then, and that's an interesting question. How do you balance AIC requirements against ITAR? How much is going to go back to the US? What kind of work might it be? Are you able to talk to that or is, are we now getting into the classified side? Look, I, I, I can certainly certainly talk to that a little bit. And, and from a, you know, my previous roles inside the military um, to now, I, I, I do see that ITAR is a challenge for everybody, whether you're in business or you're in government. And, and I see it on both sides of the US and the Australian perspective. We've got to be able to protect those most sensitive technologies and knowledge so that it doesn't get into the hands of our adversary. So there does need to be a level of ITAR and export control, whether it's US coming to Australia or Australia going to the US or any other country as it may be. So the balance to me is about what is the absolute requirement and we've got to be able to set that and explain that in a way to those people we're trying to get the technology release or the knowledge transfer done in a way that shows it to the benefit of both parties. And I think we're doing that very, very well over the last, you know, 10 years or so. We've obviously been able to advance our standing with the US, uh, our standing with the UK in the way that we do share information and we do share technology. And maybe there are some challenges and some ways that we can improve the actual process for ITAR release and export control. And I'm, I know that there are many, many people, including our minister would have been over there now. I'm sure that would have been one of the topics that would have been raised behind closed doors uh, about how do we improve this process where we can benefit each other going forward. But I think that mutual benefit is one of the most important things. And if we can convince people of that, then I, I have seen where it happens quite quickly that, that the release comes. So that's how the balance goes for us, I think, is where is that benefit and can we explain that appropriately? And then when we do do that, uh, it happens quite quickly. So. Uh, just a, a question about platforms within the RAF and their support for the ADF. You, you've got the E7A Wedgetail doing airborne electronic control. It's it's pretty much the radar in the sky. You've got the Growler, which is for electronic warfare and quite often engaging actively. So the Peregrine is is more of a uh, electronic intelligence gathering signals intelligence that kind of thing and, and gathering whole of environment. Perspective. I'm just looking at how it fits in with those two. Yeah, it, 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 that's a, that is. I guess that's a reasonable way to think about the capability as a system. And when all of those systems that you described all work together and bring a certain piece of the puzzle together, what becomes really important is what we spoke about a little bit at the beginning: is how do we connect all of those pieces and make sure that it's the right time, the right place. It's it is not overlapping too much. We're we're not getting anything that's discontinuous between all of those systems and how do we pull it together, get it in a common operating picture in a format that gets to the right people. 
So the platform stuff is is actually, whilst highly technical and challenging, the bigger challenge is actually to make sure that all of that is integrated in a way that actually gets pre- and presented to the right people at the right time so that decisions can get made going forward. So, yeah, I think the way you describe that, Grant, is probably a reasonable way of, of thinking about it going forward. It, it's part of the – it's filling the gaps in between what all of those other systems get to do. And then if you start to add things like – MQ9B, as it comes along, it'll do a different part of that. And then you add the Triton capability that's coming in. So from an Australian system of systems perspective, starting to get the whole picture covered, whether it's land, um, airborne, or even now in some of the capabilities we're looking with 5012 undersea, the surveillance piece that's happening in the undersea and, and making that connectivity so everybody's getting that common operating picture to operate at the speed of relevance for, for conflict. And you just touched on very briefly there that the I believe it's called paired prioritization, evaluation, dissemination. There is a swarm of data. So I would imagine that the Peregrine, it, while it has onboard capabilities for, for ed, like, like they say, edge processing, I'd imagine that it's feeding a lot of inf- information back to ground-based intelligence centers. Yeah. And, and then there's a multitude level of processing of that data as well. So, yes, happening on board, happening on the ground, maybe happening later on with, with delayed processing. Uh, what is the important stuff that we need to process now and get out now? Or what's the stuff we can look at later on? And that's where things like our artificial intelligence and machine language type processing is starting to become even more important as we go forward to be able to make sure that the, we're getting to the critical nodes of the information very, very quickly so that uh, we don't have to wade through you know, all of that data and wait, you know, two minutes, maybe even three minutes, which could be too long uh, to get the right information. How do you decide what the right information is in this kind of thing? Because, I mean, if you're talking about so much data coming in from so many different sources and it's all the system of systems and it's all integrated, the human in this equation is now the bottleneck. How do you get past that? Yeah, and I think that's that's part of the, the discussion there where you're using the artificial intelligence and the machine language element to only to be able to filter and get those critical bits of information to the, the human that needs to make make the decision that only a human can make at that point. So it's what is the stuff that we can do that's prior to the human and one what so that only the human does that only the human can do. Uh, right. Now if I was if I was able to solve that problem, Ewan, I think I'd be sitting in a different job right now. I'd probably be <laughs> behind closed doors in a black box somewhere trying to write the code that's actually can make that happen. But there's Obviously, the input that comes from our operators is really important. What is the, the that bit of information that they're doing? So, their operational analysis is really important to have that decision-making thought process that a human has and then try to make sure that the AI is looking after that, the machine learning is looking after that and only getting the right bits to the human to make the decision. So, yeah, again, a really complex answer to what seems like a really simple question and uh, my brain is not the size of a planet, and I don't think I can do that. <laughs> well, thanks for trying. Um, the obvious question we haven't asked yet is the current status of the Peregrine. Uh, how long will it be in service, and how uh, will it be kept up to date? How long will it be in service? Well, we hope for many, many, many years, obviously, because it's something that, uh, from an L3 Harris perspective, that we can see a, a development path going forward, uh, obviously driven by requirements that the Australian Defence Force would have. At the moment, uh, we have, we're just getting our first aircraft 
now be equipped out. So they've had some of the major modifications, structural modifications done, they're about to be equipped out. So we're, we're excited about where that is at at the moment in the United States. So we're hoping within a couple of years we would actually see. I, I don't want to be locked down right here and now uh, as to, to when that actually is. However, you know, the, the timeline is the 2020 end of 23, 24 is when we're really hoping that we will see those types of aeroplanes online here. And we do everything we can to pull that forward. Uh, when, you know, there are real challenges with COVID at the moment. There are real challenges with um, supply chains that we're seeing uh, with, with various bits of electronic equipment. Uh, so hopefully none of that uh, has a detrimental effect on the, the current timescale for Peregrine. But yeah, we're, we've just got the first aircraft now at uh, Greenville, I think, is getting the, getting the back end put in them uh, to get them developed and brought over here. Now, who knows, maybe the next Avalon Airshow, maybe there'd be something, you know, hopefully we, we would get something there, but I certainly don't want to be held to that at the moment. <laughs> How are you going to keep the Peregrine up to date over the course of its life? Yeah, that, and that is, uh, again, goes back to that. What's the Australian industry capability and sovereign capability we require. So we see that from just a pure platform perspective, a green aircraft perspective, that's a simple thing. There will be a contract here in Australia where we will have an Australian uh, company that will be maintaining the aeroplane through, through a contract. The back end of that now is how do we fuse the requirements of and, and learn from things like uh, what's happening in Rivet Joint, what's happening in other development programs that are out there and build the connectivity there to say, okay, we've got this lesson over here. Does that apply to what's happening in, in Peregrine? But more importantly is what does the strategic environment look like? What does the ADF need? How do we feed those requirements into the development? And how much of that can be done in Australia? So building that knowledge transfer, that tech transfer to Australia so that we can help build the capability and capacity in Australia to have that sovereign development bit. So that's the main thrust. We, we'd love to be heading down that path uh, of how do we build the Australian capacity and capability to do it without letting go of the really close friendship that we have with the US and what gets developed in those spaces as well. Yeah, a fine line between ITAR, sovereign capability, and the cutting edge of electronic warfare. Yeah. One of the things I have seen, though, Grant, is that Australia is very good at what they do. Um, when we pick up something, we, we may not have the scale that a country like the UK or the US has, but what we do have is high quality. And the US and the UK learn a lot from Australia, no matter what we do, whether it's, it's in EW or tactics or whatever that might be in, in our defence network. Um, so I do see it being a, a two-way street. I don't see this just being a one-way street. Yeah, when you don't have the budget or the huge expansive manpower to be able to have little siloed specialists and so on, you, you've come up with a lot of innovative solutions that others may not consider. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, is there anything else you'd like to chat to us about regarding L3 Harris's Australian operations um, over and above Peregrine and so on? Oh, look, thanks for the opportunity, Graham. We, as a company, um, obviously in the last two years has been a major change for us. So L3 and Harris merged in 2019 and we spent two years uh, restructuring and looking at how those two companies come together and they were two very distinctly different operating models of companies. They had very little that overlapped in capability. There was some overlaps in capability but as you try to fuse those two companies together there's obviously some very significant challenges on the processes and policies and how all those things work and who's going to run what part of the business and where does that bit parts of business and I think we'll see some changes of that over the next we'll still keep seeing that evolve over time 
But now that that's sort of, it's about two years old now, it's a little over two years old, and and Chris Kabasic is now the the CEO of the company, we'll start to see, I think, a focus on international a little more. We'll start to see focus countries like Australia and and how we do business differently and and plug into what the government policies are now of the day with, you know, more Australian industry capability, a, a better focus on sovereign and developing sovereign capability. And we certainly see that loud and clear and see it as a future and that as a company to grow in Australia, we've got to grow with that and, and work with that. And so I see that as one of my key roles going forward is how do we, how do I become that interface control document between a, a government uh, that wants certain policies and ideas from Australia and, and a company that has been working a certain way for a period of time how do we build that and build that one L3 Harris capability in Australia and, and certainly looking forward to that. In your role, Alan, and I mean, this is sort of developing on what you've just said, what are your priorities over the next 12 months? And I think what I'm asking here is actually two questions. The first is, what are you worried about over the next 12 months? And the second is, what are you excited about? What am I worried about? I'm worried about running out of time and, 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 and working 24 hours a day to try and get all the <laughs> things done that I want to do. Um, I'm really excited about what L3 Harris actually has to offer. If you think about the types of products that they have over the years developed, and uh, I'm excited about how do we integrate that and bring that as a package, a system of systems, as a prime and a partner of choice to Australia. Uh, that, that is what I'm excited about because for many, many years we've seen the platform, which is important, absolutely important for us to get out and do the job that the Australian Defence Force needs to do. But the glue elements of that, the connectivity, the networks, the waveforms, the crypto, the data links, the surveillance, all of those other elements which are now absolutely essential for the platform to be able to do the job is what L3 Harris does. So to be able to integrate that and bring that as a solution as a prime in Australia, that really does excite me going forward. And, and I know it does Chris Kabasic and, and the team in, in America as well. They, they can see that future here in Australia. So what worries me? Um, yeah, time, time is one of those things you, you never – but I think that's the same in, throughout my entire career. I've never seemed like I've had enough time in the day to do the things I wanted to do. Uh, I think it's going to be challenging uh, as a country as we go forward to how do we define what our, sovereign, our real sovereign capabilities are. I think we're we're maturing in that space. So that worries me that we don't necessarily get it exactly right. We don't necessarily develop the right sovereign capabilities. Therefore, as a business, we're not necessarily helping Australia in the right way. But um, I think they're they're challenges. I don't think they're things that are insurmountable. And we've got a lot of really smart people, both in our government, in the Defence Force and in business and Australian business that are actually working hard to get that right. Well, fantastic, Alan. That's been a great discussion on L3 Harris's Australian operations and Looking forward to uh, seeing how how you go over the next uh, few years, bringing all this together, and hopefully you do get the time you need. But with that, we'll uh, stick a fork in this episode, as the phrase goes, and uh, wrap this one up. So thank you, Alan, and thank you, Ewan. I've appreciated your time. This has been a great chat. Thanks, Grant. Well, thank you, Grant. Thank you, Ewan. Really did appreciate the opportunity to chat and look forward to doing it again soon. The ADM Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa Media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au 
or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yaffa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.